we continue our look today under the theme of nooks and crannies, and we chose this theme because of what Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says. It's not on the screen, but listen closely to what Paul wrote. It says, and God placed all things, all things under the feet of Christ and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's lots of alls and everys in that verse, There's two verses. Lots of alls and everys. And, and when we think about what does God want to do in the world through Jesus and thus through his church, God wants his fullness of who he is to go to all the world, and he's doing that through us. Now, you may look at that, and you may scoff at that idea. Have you seen us lately? We're pretty messy people. How could God take all of him and go to all those places, all the places, through folks like us? We, I'm lucky to get out of bed and have my hair combed sometimes, some days, and I'm supposed to take God to all the world. And so uh, this morning, I, I th want us to ask the question, well, if God is going to accomplish that mission of, of making a visible representation of all that he is and that Christ rules over all and that he is doing that through his people, through the church, so that the world will see his fullness and experience his fullness, where does that start? I think it starts in the nook and cranny of deep within you and me. Before we go do anything, before we go tell anybody anything, before we pick up anything and do something for someone else, I think Jesus wants to start deep inside of us. And so we, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 14 to one of the richest texts in the Bible, I think. And it's an interesting passage. Um, I think we have made this statement before, but if, if you look at verses 3 through 14 and you look at it in Greek, it's all one big sentence, right? It's like 200 words, the biggest run-on sentence ever. If you're an English teacher, it'll drive you crazy, right? Now, in English, sometimes we've put some periods and commas and, and kind of broke it up a little bit, um, but in Greek, it's all one sentence, and someone went to diagram the sentence, and I know that's far away from some of you in the back, but if you can just imagine all the lines and scribbles and, and jots and tittles going all over this page. That's uh, the passage that we are looking at here today. And so we are not going to parse, and uh, this is not English class, because um, I failed that class repeatedly, as you might guess, uh, but we are going to walk through this passage, and I don't want to read it as, a, as an English lesson. That's the last thing I could do with this passage. Because the reason that Paul just keeps going on and on, the, the grace on top of grace thing that was just heard, the, he just keeps piling on. Because he's trying to remind these Christians how blessed they are. And it's not blessings outside of them, it's blessings deep inside of them. And so I hope today that I could encourage you and myself, as I've tried to this week, um, to look deep inside yourself, for me to look deep inside of me, and ask the question, there's a nook and cranny deep inside of me that is hungry to experience worth. I, I want to know that I matter. I, I want to know that someone else cares. I, I want to know that, that my life is worth something. So how do we find that? And I think one of the beautiful things that following Jesus does for us 
is it speaks to the soul first. It speaks deep into your soul when it tells you um, you are worth, you have worth, you are worth it to the Lord. And so we're going to look in this passage in just a moment. A couple weeks ago, I've, this headline caught my attention and it stuck with me um, because I was just imagining what it would be like to have this experience. The headline looks like this, that a bank mistakenly put $120,000 into a couple's account. Now it goes on here a second, and we're going to get to the spin it part. That's, the, that's where it takes a turn. But, but imagine waking up in the morning, checking your bank account on your phone, and all of a sudden, honey, uh, did you go to the bank yesterday? It's like, no, did you? It's like, no, I didn't, but there's 120 grand sitting in our checking account right now. And your next thought is not, well, we should call the bank and ask about that. The next thought they had was, woohoo, we're going shopping, all right? And so they spent it. And you notice the next line, the police say. So you know this story takes a negative turn, right? This couple, the Williams family, their names are Robert and Tiffany Williams. They live in Pennsylvania. On May 31st of this year, um, a customer in Georgia went to the bank and deposited $120,000. The BB&T bank teller accidentally put the wrong account number in the deposit. And so when the um, deposit went through, it went to the Williams family instead of the customer in Georgia. And so the customer later contacted the bank saying, um, I went and spent I gave you $120,000 and it's not showing up in my account. I'm a little bothered by that, uh, as you and I would both be. And so, uh, and so they began to investigate and realized their error. And so um, if you've ever played Monopoly, you know that bank errors never go in your favor, right? They always go against you. And so they began to go back to the Williams account and try to draw that money back out, and it wasn't there. Because in the meantime, the Williams had um, paid bills, they had repaired cars, they had given $15,000 to friends who had needs, they had bought an SUV, they had bought a camper, they had bought two four-wheelers, because you have to have a couple, a matching pair, and a car trailer to go with it. And so they had spent the $120,000. The bank, um, again, as they came back, and, and imagine having the overdraft charge of $107,000 looming over your account. That would not be a very peaceful place to be and to, and to live. Um, and so they're facing criminal charges as well for not paying the bank back their money. And so this story I share, just because I think it's a fascinating story in and of itself, but, um, but I, I read it and share it with you because I think as we jump into the book of Ephesians this morning, there is a parallel between that story and the truth that Ephesians is entering, introducing to us today. And that truth is simply this, that God through Christ fills my soul with a worth that settles me. Now, I don't know if we use the word settle very often, but I think we know what it means, right? That God through Christ fills my soul, the deepest nook and cranny of my life, the deepest part of me. He fills my soul with a worth that settles me. Now, I want to unpack that sentence today. I want to do a couple of things with it here. My soul can rest in the truths that Paul is about to present to us in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And as I live in this worth or this value that Christ brings into my soul, it begins to bring change to my life as it begins to bear fruit in all the places that I go. And so as God says, you know what, I want to take you, church, I want to take you, individual Christian, and I want to spread my fullness and show my fullness and, and take Jesus to every nook and cranny of this world, I must first fill your soul 
Because as you go, that's how the fullness is shown to the world. And so listen to Paul's words. Now, before we do this, I just want you to do an exercise with me here, all right? We don't normally do this, but I just want you to, to breathe with me, right? Everybody, I know you have been breathing, but just take a big breath in. Do it one more time. All right, I want you to relax, and I just let, to let your soul feel the worth and the weight of these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Some of your translations might say that he has lavished upon us. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Here's a word again that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment. And here's what God's up to in the world. If you ever want to know what's God's big goal, it's this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, he's been speaking from kind of a Jewish perspective first, but now he includes us all. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's a lot. Now, now you probably have one of two things. One is your mind is spinning, thinking, that sounds really good, but I have no idea what he just said. All right, there's a lot of, a lot of nooks and crannies to those passages. Or number two, you're thinking, Wow. That's nice. That's beautiful. But I don't know if God would ever say that about me. And so he goes on and on. He keeps just compiling on the list of blessing after blessing that are available to us in Christ. And, and what he does is he opens our eyes. He wants you to open your eyes to see that the Lord, before he sends you anywhere, asks you to do anything, just wants you to know your worth to him. And he opens your eyes to see first a God who loves us with all that he has, Again, just think of all the things that he puts up there, that Paul opens our eyes to see a God who loves us with all that he has. And just walk through quickly with those with me. We could spend sermons on each one of these. We will not do that. I just want to fly quickly through this and just remind you of what you've just heard. He reminds you of a God who, who, who planned and had purpose for you. Verse 4, um, if you were to quote the great theologian Willie Nelson, and to summarize this verse, that just, you were always on my mind. We should sing that with a, we were always on the mind. We should do that. But, uh, but again, you were always on my mind. That's what this passage is about. That God has never had a time when he was not thinking about you and us as his people. Long before, verse 4 says in the message, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. 
And so God loves you with all that he has, and what does he have? He has plans and purposes for you. He goes on to say in verse 5, verse 6, that, that there is a place made for us at his table, that God opens up his table, his table with his children and says, come, come and eat, come and dine, come and share life with me. And he uses that beautiful word adoption, that I am adopting you into my family. I, there's many stories of adoption we could probably look at and talk about. But I, I have a couple of Facebook friends who, um, I don't know them all that well, but I, we're Facebook friends. That's the way Facebook works, right, right? You don't know them, but you just know about them. And so they've been in this process of adoption for a number of months, maybe a couple of years. And there's nothing more beautiful than just sometimes there's a fundraising process and there's that going to get them stage. But what do they call it when you finally, what's, what's your birthday when you're adopted? It's your gotcha day. I gotcha. You're mine now. And there's that beauty of that. And that's exactly what Paul points to, that, that we are gotten in Jesus, that he has gotten us. He has made a place for us at his table as his children. And it wasn't that you were all clean and perfect and beautiful. It was just regardless of who you were, when, when you responded to Christ, that he, he got you. That beautiful of that. There's the purchase that came at grace price. If you know how adoption works, you know there's also a great price that oftentimes goes along with adoption. That it's, I can adopt you and, and you are freely welcome, but adoption is not cheap. It oftentimes comes at a great price. And so verse 7 says we were purchased at a great price and that price was paid because of the debt that we owed, because of our sin. We owed a debt that we could not pay and that price was paid for. It was purchased by Jesus. Verses 9 and 10 says we become a part of God's grand scheme and God's grand purpose in this world. Again, that God let us in on a secret of what he is doing in the world. And, and as his people, he says, hey, this is what I'm doing. Here's the mystery of everything that you've seen and, and all that I'm doing. Everything I is bringing under Christ. And I'm going to bring everything under him. And, and, and if you read the beginning of the Bible, everything was perfect and it was in its place and, and it was in responsive to God. And it was all about glorifying him. And now it's all messed up because of sin. But in Christ, I'm fixing it. I'm putting it back in place. And so, hey, children of mine, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. This is what I'm up to in the world. But I love this last part. Three times in this passage, there's that little phrase, the, the, the praise of his glory. All right? That all of this, the last thing is I want you to see that he did all this because of his pleasure for you. Throughout this passage, you find the little word pleasure that shows up, that God was not begrudgingly doing this. I don't know if you've, as, as a parent, sometimes your child's sick in the middle of the night, and, and you get up and you serve them, you take care of their needs, but there's no pleasure in that, right? I'm not excited to be up at 3 a.m. with you, um, holding a bucket or whatever we're doing. That's not, there's no pleasure in that. I'll do it out of duty. But yet all the stuff, all throughout this passage, it continues to just point us to the idea that God had his greatest pleasure was in doing all this, was in opening up this plan, was in opening up his table and was paying the price for our debt to adopt us, to make us part of what he's doing, that he sees such worth in you that he wants to include you in that. So he uses all that he has to do that. But I also don't want you to miss the second thing that Paul opens our eyes to, is that, that he opens our eyes to a God who loves us with all that he is. He doesn't just use his resources he uses all that he is. And as you go through this passage, it's, it's not hard to kind of see all three persons of God. If you talk about the Trinity, that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that all of them are at work in this process of what God is doing in you and for you and through you. Um, 
And we could spend a long time, but I found a chart. Everybody loves charts, right? That makes it simple. Uh, somebody outlined Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 in this way, that you see God the Father, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit kind of broke out in some of those verses. That's not a perfect breakdown, but it, it works pretty well. The time frame emphasized God the Father tends to have the plan. He's working in history past, but Jesus the Son is, is present benefit, his death, his resurrection, what we're experiencing now, uh, and the Holy Spirit's preparing us for future glory, holding us for future glory, that God planned it, the Son purchased it, and, and the Spirit is preserving us uh, until the day that we meet there. So again, God is using all that he is, not just what he has, but he puts his whole being into this whole redemption thing that's telling you of your worth. And we won't spend long on this, but I love this list of things. Oftentimes we talk a lot about the Father and the Son, but I love that seal phrase, um, not because I'm a big fan of seals, but, but I love that seal because I think that's a powerful metaphor. Uh, Rick actually, in a sermon that he did on this passage, just kind of talked about that spirit seal, and he kind of just said this in passing. I think it's worth for you seeing it, that the Holy Spirit seal represents two, one or two or three things. That one, it certifies a past transaction. Uh, remember when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished? It was a Greek word that was a business word that when they, when like if you went to the, to the store or went to the bank and paid off a debt, they would mark that tetelestai word across your bill. It's paid for. It's done. And that's exactly what uh, Jesus said on the cross. And, and the spirit is kind of God's mark to say this person's paid for, purchased, done for. He's done. The debt is paid. Maybe it verifies present ownership. Um, another place that the word seal is used in the Bible, remember when the Romans um, put the stone in front of Jesus' tomb and they put a, a mark on that stone with a Roman emblem that says this stone, this mark, this is Roman property. They put a seal on that. It's the same word that's used here. It's the same idea that this thing, this stone, this tomb belongs to Rome. Don't mess with it or else Rome will come after you. And it's the same thing that the Spirit sealing us reminds all who see, this is my child. They are sealed. They are mine. And finally, it's a seal of future glory. It signifies future glory. It's kind of the engagement ring. Uh, metaphor that, that we give a ring to say, hey, you're mine now, but there's this future thing coming that's going to be awesome. And so I love that picture that God puts all of who he is into this whole plan, this whole redemption story that he's playing out for you. Now, we say all that, and, and again, this is a rich passage. We could preach on it for weeks, but I just want us to get this for this point. I hope that as you see those truths, that that fills your soul with a little bit of a worth that settles you a little bit. I hope that you hear that and you read those words and you think, man, if that's what God thinks about me in Christ, I should be able to rest. I should be able to breathe. I should find a, le a higher level of peace in my life because, man, I'm worth, I have worth, I am worth to God. And so I hope that your soul feels a little bit more at rest as you read through that. And I think these verses stand out, at least to me, and as I've wrestled with these for the last couple of weeks, I think they stand out to me because of this reason. Because you and I live in a world that doesn't give worth unless you earn it. It doesn't give worth, it doesn't put worth on something unless I want to. And we live in a world that, without Christ that unsettles my soul. And so while on the one hand that Christ settles my soul, I think the next thing is that the world without Christ unsettles my soul. Because it, it sends me on a never-ending search for worth. 
And I'm always trying to prove myself, always trying to be uh, acceptable to somebody. I'm always trying to be in, the, uh, in that um, rut of just, man, I got to f- get up today and find worth through this world. Go back to our Williams family who got the 120 grand in their checking account, right? And I'm sure when they woke up that morning to find a treasure in their account, it was real money, right? It was real money, verifiable by four-wheelers and trailers and SUVs and friends that have been helped. Um, it was real money, but it really wasn't real, right? It wasn't something that brought them real peace. And I'm sure in the back of their minds as they're spending all this money, they're thinking, you know what, this is all fun, but it's got to be in the back of your mind that this isn't mine. This is all fake. This is not real. Surely they're going to come looking for this when they discover their error. And there had to have been an unsettled feeling that this is just shaky. This is just a shaky place to be. And, and there had to be something unsettling in their minds about that. And that's how the world seems to give worth towards us. That it extends it for a time, as long as you perform, as long as you look, as long as you fit the part, as you play the role, as long as you do whatever, or are engaged in whatever, or have whatever, then we'll give you worth. But if you fail to be that anymore, we quickly retract that worth from you. And so we're left in a world where the message is simply, buy this. Or experience that. Learn this. Achieve that. Get promoted to this. Or please enough people with that. Perform like this. Or wear that. Live in this. Drive that. Go along with this. Impress them with that. And then you have worth. But if any of those things cease to be, our worth in the eyes of many quickly begins to diminish. And at the end of the day, it's just fake money in the bank. And a lot of it's okay. Those things that we do, they're not bad things oftentimes. But oftentimes we can be caught up in trying to make small things into a big thing. And this is what I mean. I've got a, um, if you ever have a a cell phone, well, most of you have a cell phone. Uh, And if you ever go into a place where like your reception is really, really bad, like you have like one little bar and you're barely trying to do something there and you just, well, what does your phone do on that whole time? It's searching for a signal. It's trying to connect to what it's supposed to be plugged into. But what does your battery do when it's in that constant search mode? It's just draining fast, right? And the older your phone gets, the faster it drains, right? And so you're just stuck in that. You can watch it drain because it's just searching, it's searching, it's searching. And that's oftentimes where our hearts, where our souls can be left. And so I have a silly picture I want to show you, okay? I'm going to say this is Chris the stick figure guy, okay? Uh, you can put that up there. This is Chris the stick figure guy. I don't know if it's really Chris, but I had glasses. And it, it has glasses, so I'm going to go with that. We'll name him Chris, okay, for illustra- illustrative purposes. And Chris has a soul, just like you have a soul. And Chris is searching uh, for things to fill his soul because Chris wants to feel like he has worth in this world, And so this picture, I think, illustrates the question, am I worth anything? And from my earliest ages, just like your earliest ages, we're naturally searching the question, does anybody think I'm worthwhile? Does anybody care? Does anybody love me? Does anybody think that I'm important? And so we we look in all the things of the world, and we look through our experiences, and we look through our relationships and our achievements that are all around us, and we're all those times trying to find worth and and think, well, does this make me more worthwhile or more valuable in, in someone's eyes? And so 
I'm going to put two words up here, two phrases. I don't know if I like them or not, but it was the best way I could do, and I ran out of time. Sunday's here. All right, so here's my two phrases. I think there are two kinds of worth that we can sometimes chase after that Paul is addressing here. One is the sustaining worth. It's the kind of worth that just goes deep into your soul, and it's just there. It's the sustaining thing that it's the kind that Paul is presenting to us, right? If you were to read through that list just slowly, meditative, meditatively, um, slowly and prayerfully and thoughtfully, and just really begin to personify those things, that God, you have always had me on your mind. And God, you, through Jesus, you have adopted me into your family. I know I'm not worth it a lot of days, but boy, you have chosen me, you've adopted me, you have loved me, you have lavished on me, you have included me, you have given me purpose, and all of those things are deep, right? Those are soul-level things. They have nothing to do with, with your job or what you do on your next school assignment or what your next day at work will be like or what the next ball game will be or your next race or your work assignment or the stock market or relational ruptures or political chaos. It has nothing to do with that because those are soul-level things and they're sustaining. They're there. They're like bedrock stuff, right? But on the other hand... There's the secondary worth. And that's what I'm going to lump in all those things that sometimes we go chasing after to find worth. Now, secondary worth, I don't think is a bad thing. All of us go through life, and throughout life, we begin to find worth in our talents, right? As our talents are developed, I begin to feel a little bit more worthwhile in my life or careers that grow over time or musical abilities or athletic talents that, are, that we nurture. Friendships grow and there's worth that comes from that. Community involvement that helps, allows us to help people and there's a sense of worth that comes from that. We build things, we write things, we organize things, we make people laugh or we improve their lives. I try to make people laugh. We, we improve their lives through serving with the gifts that we've been given. See, I just tried to make you laugh. You didn't laugh. Now I feel worthless. Those secondary things are often very good things, right? I'm not saying these are good, these are bad. I'm just saying that when we have a sustaining worth coupled with a secondary worth, that's real health. That's a real healthy place to live from. And I think that's what Paul is trying to give us. He's trying in these passages to remind these Ephesian Christians that you have this soul-level worth. And people may applaud that. People may think you're crazy for believing this Jesus, but this is who Jesus is and what he gives to you. There's a quote that I've been wrestling with. I've seen it over time, but it was reminded of it a couple of weeks ago. And it just reminds me, though, that when I forget and do away with like that soul level, that's, um, that sustaining worth, and just kind of live in that secondary worth side, this little quote, if you live off people's compliments, you will die from their criticism. Now, I'm a people pleaser, I like compliments, and, and I'm not fishing for compliments by saying that, but that's just me, right? I'm a people-pleasing person by nature, and so I hunger for that. And so sometimes I will catch myself doing things because I'm living, I'm finding worth, I'm, your compliment or someone's compliment kind of fuels me for the next few days. But what happens when the compliments turn to criticism? The same compliments that boosted me up, they destroy me when the criticism comes, and I'm not fishing for those either. But when you go through life, if, that's, if I'm living, go to the next thing, the next slide there. If I get rid of the sustaining worth and I don't have that deep in my soul and all I'm doing is living off of secondary worth, the compliments, the, the things that I can get from people, the impression that I can make on people and just some of those more shallow things that aren't bad things but they're just not deep things. What I end up having is a life that is unsettled 
and, and there's less peace, and there's this frustration, and there's this exhaust, exhaustion that sets in because I just can't keep going. At some point, it just gets tiring. But the best life is a life that listens to what Paul has said in this passage, and they have this sustaining worth, and, and then the secondary worth just kind of builds on top of that. And so you've got this foundational thing that, that no matter what happens in my life, I've got this thing because I am loved, adopted, accepted, held, sealed by the God of the universe. And there's this bedrock thing in my life that is stable, it is solid. And so when I have the worst of days, and we all have the worst of days, it may affect those secondary feelings of worth, but it does not change the fact of who I am in Christ. And so I wrestled really hard with how to say this, and so I hope that makes sense. I hope that that, for me, on the days when I am at my least peaceful place is when I have forgotten to live from the sustaining worth kind of part of my life, these truths that, that I am in Christ, and I'm just living from that secondary worth. I'm trying to please people or I'm trying to be something I'm not. or I just, It's just an unhealthy place to be. And so when the Bible talks about this peace that passes understanding, I think it's talking about these two things working together. And this, the guy who wrote that was a guy who went, through, who, who went through prison, who was shipwrecked, who was beaten, who was rejected just because of his faith. And yet he had this sustaining worth, this peace that whether the secondary things were going really good or really bad, he always knew who he was. He always knew he was okay. So he could have peace. He could have joy. He continued to love. He could continue to do all the things he was because he had that sustaining worth in Christ. And so my fear, as we wrap this up then, is, is that when you and I think about our worth and what Paul is trying to do and going deep down into your soul and as he begins this letter to say, this is you got to know this first, right? Before you get to trying to be a good husband or wife or parent or kid or before you try to change your character, before you try to do all those things at the end of the letter, you got to know your worth before your heavenly father. And so my fear is that we will all do what we normally do after hearing a talk like this is that we'll go out and we'll try to prove our worth to God. And I'm going to try to this week say, well, God, if that's how you feel about me, then I'm going I'm to prove it and I'm going to fail in that. Because I can never prove it because I fall short of God. But I hope that you notice one more thing. It's number three. That Paul opens our eyes to see a God who blesses the whosoevers who come. Um, God doesn't bless those who live it perfectly, sing it better than other people, or manage it better than other people, or whatever. He blesses those whosoever will come. I think it's a quote from John 3.16, that God so loved the world that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If there is an interesting thing, that if you go back through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and you begin to connect the verbs with the nouns, I think that's how that works in English, right? You connect your verbs with your nouns, and you begin to think, well, who's doing the action here? Who's doing all the work in this passage? You're gonna find that God gets all the good verbs, God does the blessing, the choosing, the predestining, the redeeming, the lavishing, the making known, the bringing togethers, the seals. Those all go to God. And there's two verbs in this passage that I think are connected with us. It's the verb here. He says in there that when you heard the word, um, hearing is not something I'm 
I, I pride myself on, right? I'm a good hearer, a good listener. Um, but that's exactly where it begins. How do I begin to allow this soul to be filled with this um, sustaining worth? I've got to hear. And so uh, oftentimes the days when I am struggling to, um, to build on that sustaining worth, it's because I'm listening to the wrong things. I'm either plugged into media or plugged into situations or plugged into my own mind. I'm listening to the lies of my enemy who is trying to remind me, you are not chosen. You are not lavishly loved. You are not sealed. And, and, and Satan just works in our minds sometimes to do that. But I need to hear. And so Paul says hearing is crucial to building upon that sustaining worth. But I got to hear it. But then the second verb that's attached to me and you is believe. I can hear it all day. And maybe you've had people in your life where you've tried to speak really good things. You've tried to speak truth. You've tried to speak positive. You've tried to speak these kinds of truth statements into the life of someone else. And they hear it, but they will not believe it because they're believing something else. They're, they're believing a, a lie. Earlier, I love the song we sang, that I am who you say I am. Because that sometimes is the hardest struggle of our souls, is to really believe that I am who God says I am. And I'm hoping and praying that you and I are gonna make a shift here today. Because sometimes when we think of, well, I'm gonna make a difference in the world for Christ, our minds immediately go to, well, I'm gonna work really hard, I'm gonna give effort to this. But Ephesians says, before you go and do any kind of effort, hear and believe. Hear and believe. Hear the truth, believe the truth about who God says you are. And it's this more of this abiding idea of a tree, as John 15, Jesus talks about, if you are in me, you're like a, a branch grafted into a vine, and the vine doesn't do anything. He just plugs in, and he lives, and he feeds off of, and, and he learns from, and he, he's just fed from the, from the vine. And Jesus would have us, I think, to focus more on him a shift from more effort and just trying harder to just being still, being quiet and saying, God, this is in your word, this is who you say I am. And there's a hundred reasons why I don't believe this about myself, but you say this, in Christ, this is who I am. And so as a man once asked Jesus, said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Sometimes that needs to be our first prayer. God, help me to believe, really, who you say I am. So that I am coming to the world. I'm coming to work every day. I'm coming towards my family. I'm coming towards my marriage. I'm coming towards my neighborhood. I'm coming from a heart that is full and has the sustaining worth alive and built within it. So that no matter what happens when I leave my door, my front door, that, boy, I've got this solid thing inside of me. It has nothing to do with me. It has all to do with Jesus and what he has said about me, what he has done for me, and, and what he has prepared for me. And so I leave you with Psalm 115, verse 1, that echoes this passage quite well, I think. It is not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness to us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we uh, thank you for a beautiful reminder of how much we are worth to you. There's an enemy in our world who 
specializes in destroying our foundation, who specializes in, in lies and, and uses the guilt, uses the shame, uses the failures of our life, uses the imperfections and our struggles to separate us from the truth that we have just read. So Father, for every one of us here today who are in Jesus, I pray that you would pour deep into our souls our worth. because of your grace, because of the actions of Christ towards us, that you would just pour deep into our insecurities, into our fears, into our failures, into our brokenness, that you would just pour worth down deep inside of us. Father, help us to hear and help us to believe the word of the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to stand and we are gonna sing about the Christ who made all of these things possible, that it's in him that uh, I have all this hope and this help. And so as we sing this, would you just allow your heart to worship the one who loved you and who pours worth into your life? And, and, and if you are here today and, and you've never surrendered to Christ or made a step towards Jesus and you would like to talk to someone about that, uh, we would love to do that and visit with you. So if you would come down or catch us after service here, we'd love to talk to you about the beauty of being in Jesus. So let's worship him, please. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the of Christ I stand in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I 